This is Cinema Degeneration. There is a man, alone in the dark with a head full of the unknown. A vault of horrific thoughts hidden from the world. Another stalks him through the shadows. Watching. Waiting. Burning to crack the lock of his skull. Plunge his questing fingers inside and dissect the mysteries within. And tonight, the hunter will spring his trap without warning. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration. This is a totally new show we're doing. Uh, this is the pilot, a new show that I'm doing with my good friend Corey Dawson called Without Warning. And it's a different concept. I'm surprising Mr. Dawson here. Uh, are you with us, Corey? I'm here. Right on. on. Right on. Putting you, putting you on the line. <laughs> the idea Put behind me on the, the show. Hook like Leatherface. Yes, yes. Oh, poor Pam. Poor Pam. Uh, but you know, the idea behind this show started on a late night conversation that uh, Corey and I were having after doing one of our shows. And since both of us are night owls and sometimes have nothing to do, uh, and uh, I'm up late at night due to sometimes insomnia. I've just had a surgery and uh, post-surgery I'm not sleeping real well. So, hey, why not make use of this time we have? So the idea behind the show is that we go into it, or Corey goes into it, totally blind and totally ignorant of what I'm going to be asking him and the subject matter that I'm going to be bringing up. And this was his idea. So putting by putting him on the spot, th this, is, this is all you, brother. So <laughs> if, I, if I end up making you uncomfortable, well, you got no one to blame but yourself. <laughs> That's right. I, I stepped in. I... I step full into the fire with, you know, with with no net, no uh, no foreknowledge, and uh, we will see how I flounder. <laughs> well, the idea behind the show, and uh, again, this is a total surprise. He's never, uh, I've never told him what the subject matter is going to be, and that will be the ongoing theme of the show. Every uh, couple of weeks we'll probably do this, or every week or so. And uh, I'll surprise him with the subject. You know, usually this will probably always be about movies because that's what we do here at Cinema T Generation. Maybe one day we'll do comics and maybe one day we'll do books since we're both writers. But mostly it's going to be movie themed. And tonight's theme is uh, as follows. Remakes. Yay or nay? Oh, well, We're going to talk about remakes, a subject, uh, I wouldn't say it's near and dear to my heart, but I wear it, uh, no pun intended, close to my chest. So, uh, you know, you're now, now... That, means, you're, so, that means so much more now. That has so much <laughs> more meaning now than it had before. Right, right. After our previous conversations, for those of you who don't know, I think most of the people listening to this show have heard me talk about it before, but I have some uh, heart issues congestive heart failure and i just had a pacemaker defibrillator put in so i'm recovering from surgery and this is actually the first show that i've recorded since having my surgery a uh, little over a week ago so you know since why becoming not? more human than human yes more human than human i am now part replicant uh, part darth vader part tony stark with uh, none of the superpowers but cool gadgets all the same 
you know, ho- yeah. ho- you know, uh, hopefully this will be as far cybernetic as I get. <laughs> and now your titties whistle. <laughs> yes, it does. We were having a conversation earlier. And I was telling, <laughs> for those of you listening at home, my titties now make noise. Yeah, the <laughs> the pacemaker when it uh, is made active, well, it's always active, but they have a way of scanning it, and when it scans. Uh, and it is downloading information. They put it in this certain mode, which I'm still not very familiar with. I'm still trying to learn it. It makes a beeping, buzzing noise that comes from my chest. So it sounds like I have a like a little Bluetooth speaker in the middle of my the left side of my chest. You know, so it's a little weird. I, you know, imagine if it goes off while I'm like walking around in the you know the produce aisle or something. Somebody's <laughs> going to be giving me a weird look. I'm sure. Well, I mean, you're also part Candyman because now you have a buzzing in your chest. So there you go. Right. Uh, but if you say my name three times in a mirror, I just show up, pass gas, and leave. That's it. Uh, I disagree. I think that you've got a bottle of some kind you're dropping off. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, but again, our, our subject tonight is going to be remakes. Uh, we'll probably end up discussing a couple movies in particular, I'm sure, you know. But uh, I ride the fine line myself. I'm not sure where you stand on it. That's the whole idea of this show is finding out where you stand on uh, remakes. I, you know, there's a few that I uh, love. There are a few that I tolerate. And there are many, many of them that I absolutely loathe. Uh, so, like I said, I'm not sure where you stand on it. So let's go off and, and get right into it. You know, so what was your first thought when I... I mentioned that tonight's subject was going to be about, you know, movie remakes. More specifically, when, horror movie remakes. When when you said remakes, my heart did the equivalent of uh, cocking the shotgun in Monster Squad, where a fat <laughs> kid cocks the shotgun, because I'm like, I definitely have opinions about this. And I, I think that one thing that normally comes up whenever I talk about remakes with people is I invariably get corrected as to whether or not something I'm talking about is a remake or a reboot. Yes, and I that guess conversation that comes up quite a bit. There's a lot of criteria, I guess, that goes along with that, and I would be lying if I told you I knew what all of it was. I think that, I guess, in my mind, uh, a reboot is when you're trying to start something you're trying to use brand recognition to start something from the beginning in a completely different way. I guess that I think of reboots, usually when people say the the dreaded reimagining, that's usually when I think of a reboot as well. Right. Uh, right. And a remake is when you're a remake is when you're trying to repo, I guess give a polished, modernized version of an old thought. Uh, so I definitely have opinions of and i have i can cite a few that i think are fantastic because i think that normally when people bring remakes up uh the kind of knee-jerk reaction is hate them because just through experience that's usually the form it takes is a complete disappointment or even uh being infuriated at what happens either because it insults the memory or it spits all over it, or it uses it for a cash grab, which is normally what happens. So, but mm-hmm. I do think that there's exceptions to the rule, for sure. 
I feel the same way. I think most of the time I react with a, an idea of like, oh my God, why why remake this? I think my opinion is usually they, they remake movies that to me are already a great film and think like, oh, I can do better. I can make it more polished. I can make the effects better or whatnot. And you know why? Like, for instance, you know, why remake a movie like A Nightmare on Elm Street? You know, that's a case in point to me of a horrible remake or the the Psycho remake that was done shot for shot. I think that's a perfect example of a remake that just never needed to happen. There's no ingenuity there. There's no originality, especially when you say I'm going to remake it shot per shot, where it's like 98 percent remade. It's just doesn't make sense. But then there's remakes like, for instance, one that I actually like almost as much as the original and probably probably as much as original as hills have eyes you know and i know i'm probably going to you know get some hate mail over that one but you know there there is two flip sides to there's a flip side to that coin i would say that with uh a hills have eyes i think that that is uh i think that's a movie where there's so much play with such a tribal cannibal lore as that has I think that there were definite things that were improved. With The Hills Have Eyes, you kind of have to set aside the precedent. If you're actually going to go into a remake with any sort of uh, unbiased opinion, which is difficult, difficult to do, you kind of have to say, well, I have to forget that something was the first. I have to forget that something was the best. I have to forget that at the time, nothing like this had ever been seen before. And I have to think of this, the new one, as uh, kind of starting, which is difficult to do. And I love The Hills Have Eyes with a passion because of just its pure, raw grittiness and how it kind of skirts the line. I would say you could probably tack three or four genres onto that, especially Mm. when you think of the history. I can't remember the name of the family that it was loosely based on, but they lived in some kind of like salt cliffs in uh in the united kingdom somewhere and it was a family that acted as kind of like freebooters and highwaymen and uh would eat i think that they would just find passers-by that came around the cliffs and they would just take them in and they would never be seen again and they would later on they found their bones and stuff i can't remember what they were called i can't they were remember called, either like, i do remember it, it was a family that was in uh the uk i believe or it was scotland britland somewhere in the, the the hills but i can't remember um actually i i was i uh, was cheating and looking it up uh it was the sawney alexander sawney bean and uh, sawney the fam- bean. yeah sawney, sawney bean, bean. Uh, i, I knew psycho- that it was uh sorry Go ahead. I was going to say, the psychopathic head of a Scottish clan that reportedly killed a thousand people to uh, feed their inbred brood. They would set booby traps for travelers and then attack. And then uh, the disappearances drew attention from King James the Sixth, who put an end to their reign and massacred their entire family. I mean, talk about a great, I mean, talk about a great period movie for, uh, for, is it Dave Eggers? The witch? Uh, oh, I think so. I think so. Yeah. What a great movie for that guy! Like that would be a perfect period film for that guy. 
and, and then you wouldn't be kind of stepping on hills have eyes. But I mean, when you when you have something like hills have eyes, it's been around for so long. It broke ground so early. I would say the la- last house on the left is in the same boat as that one, because you have this strikingly new, shocking precedent that you have to to live up to and then you try to revisit it i think that with most of these things it it comes no matter what they say about wanting to improve some effects or wanting to bring it into the the world of today and see how it parallels and all that kind of stuff i would say that um it comes down to brand recognition because the irony of of all of it has to do with the fact that they very rarely remake things that didn't cause a stir to begin with. If they remade something that hadn't had a name and no one paid attention and improved it, and then all of a sudden it was a hit, I think that would be uh, that would definitely be a victory. But usually they're they're treading ground that that's already been you know caked in the mud. Actually, the ones that uh, I do have to agree with you and disagree with you at the same time about the psycho remake because okay. you had mentioned it, you had mentioned that uh, it wasn't ingenious and I have to disagree there I would say that that was an ex- a failed experiment by Gus van Zant on that one because oh, if you go a in, if you go in uh, if you go in saying well this is I'm gonna have to hold this I mean, I guess you have to hold it up. Even as an experiment, you have to hold it up to Psycho so you can see the painstaking effort to kind of recreate that, except for one crucial detail. Every once in a while in that movie, he would add some artistic license. When you have something that is designed to be an exact replica in color with modern actors of something that already busted every uh, assumption when it came out. But then all of a sudden, you kind of plug in this Trent Reznor-esque S&M stuff as if it's... Right, right. It, it definitely, it, it, it made no sense when it happened, and it kind of uh, laid a, a little bit of a coat of pretension over the whole thing. It was already there, but I kind of think that brought that to attention for me. I have only watched it a couple of times. It's difficult to watch. Um, I watched it once. I watched it the the first time when I rented it back in like 98, 99, and then I never watched it again. It just it was definitely it, a curiosity. It was a curiosity at best. Um, yeah, it rubbed I me the, that, in all I, sorts of wrong ways. <laughs> I think that if because I've always been uh, I've always been of the opinion that what psycho needs if it needs anything which i don't think it needs anything but if it did i think that what it would need would be a faithful representation of the book because there are a lot of different turns in the book that were replaced by hitchcock's vision which is a a staunch vision and no one's no one's really topped it. Brian De Palma has come close, and he's tried his best. But personally, I find De Palma in most uh, most ways to be a Hitchcock plagiarist, in my opinion. That's fair. But he That's has fair. 
Yeah, he has done his own thing, and I think that Raising Cain was one. I think that if you're going to have a spiritual sequel or remake to, of Psycho, Raising Cain comes the closest. Um, that's but uh, uh, slightly off topic. I think that Psycho has the uh, has the most unrated or not unrated underrated franchise ever. I think that the sequels to Psycho were fantastic. I agree. We actually just uh, covered Psycho two about two weeks ago on the show as the, my favorite one of the series. I, I actually you know going out on a limb here. I like Psycho two more than I like. The original Psycho, I, I, I know. Again, hate mail's coming for that one, but well, <laughs> I do. I, I think I think that it's, I think when you're dealing with something that comes so far after the first one, and you succeed, I think that you can definitely make a case for liking it better because when you know what the what kind of like the conceit is of everything, and it can still be an engaging story, and somehow the character can still have an arc. That is some alchemy right there. That is a rare commodity when you can find that in something. Um, but I do think that it's happened before. I think a great uh, example is the thing. Oh, I think yes. that you have it on. I think that you have it on both ends. I think that you have. I think. I think the thing is a great representation of a remake. I guess in this. In this case, I would be tempted to call the Carpenter thing a reboot, but I don't. I someone will correct me, and they're totally within their rights to do so because I don't. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to that criteria. I think it's kind of splitting hairs most of the time. But I love the original thing with a passion. I find that the humor is completely underrated and doesn't get talked about a whole lot. A whole lot. And there are a lot of things that sort of were before their time in that movie. And I don't know if it was the, I don't know if there was a code, like they always say, like pre-code, post-code. I honestly don't know if it was pre-code or post-code. I think it was post-code. But I actually accidentally got an uncut version of the original thing that had some pretty racy stuff for the time when it came to but love interest. And then... I ended, up, I ended up having on VHS, which was the unintentional uncut copy, and then I got the DVD, which was the cut copy, and when I watched it, I realized what was missing, and, and it really stuck out. But that's definitely one where when you move to the Carpenter, you, ha <clears throat> you have the differences, you have as many differences as you have parallels. Okay. I, I love both but then, the, uh, but the original the thing from Another World and the Carpenter remake. I love both of them. It's like I was having a, a debate with somebody the other day about the thing, and I'm like, and they were talking about it. I'm like, well, which one are you talking about? And he's like, no, he's yeah. like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm talking, I'm not talking about the prequel. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, people, are you talking about like the 1958? <laughs> yeah, talking like the 1958 version or the 1982 version. And they're like, what do you mean 1958? And I'm like, oh, you, you don't know? Like, oh, let me educate you. Let, let, let me learn you something. Oh, here. yeah. That, that's, definitely, that's definitely a hole in their, 
in their viewing because I think that it it brings such a different flavor to all of it. Whereas you it it's a much more playful rendition of it was a who goes there John W Campbell. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. much more play, and in fact in fact they just released what is said to be like the true version of that story and I I think it's called like it came from hell or something. It's a brand new version that has a bunch of stuff that apparently was left in the editing room when John W Campbell first put that put that out. And maybe I'm not sure I haven't read it, but it might have more akin to some of the stuff that Carpenter was doing. I'm not sure. But when it comes to the prequel, I watched it. I tend to give things a chance. So I want, and also I love uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She elevates a lot of stuff, I think. I haven't watched oh, yeah, 10 she's Cloverfield great. Lane. I haven't watched uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane yet, but I wanted to. And I think that oh, great with movie. this one, uh, great, great I think movie. it had a I think it had a couple of things going against it. The first one being when you have the thing from another world, which usually kind of like from another world kind of like seeps in or it's like a, it's almost like a subtitle. So a lot of times you see the thing emblazoned on stuff and it's the 58 version. And then you have John Carpenter's the thing. And then you have this other, the thing. So it seems to me that the, the first problem that people were going to come across is that a lot of people come up confused with that title. I don't know what else you would call it. I agree. Uh, I'm not sure what you would call it, but I'm sure that there's a much less confusing title that could be used. And the (laughs) second problem with it is that when the stories come to light and you find out what was done with the practical effects that were later kind of like uh, truncated and uh, injected into Harbinger Down, which was interesting in its own right because I think it had one of the biggest Kickstarter things of all time. When yeah, basically people said, it was the hey, biggest you know, one at the time, but I think it's been surpassed since then. But it was the biggest one at the so. time, I believe. I, I'm, yeah, I met at the time, but um, but the the whole idea of that, I thought, if you needed an, ex- an extenuation, if you needed a continuation or a kind of an extrapolation of what happened in Carpenter's thing. You could have done a lot worse. I think that it would have done uh, maybe even a third thing that I would poke at it is that it seems to me that it needed a Ty West House of the Devil approach where uh, you're not going into it using as much new finangled technology as you can and try to sort of put it more along the lines of the, the Gordon Green like Halloween where you're trying to make it almost seamless to the old school stuff. And right, right. I, I thought that the uh, I thought that the work that ended up being put into that movie where they were actually sort of they did a lot of work for that fucking movie where they would go over and painstakingly pour through stills to try to find out the dimensions of rooms that people were in that ended up getting destroyed and there weren't any records of it post you know past the the movie itself, where they were trying to recreate right, right. the the area and all that stuff, and I guess that there was yeah a when lot they were of trying problems. to recreate the uh, the Norwegian camp and everything. Yeah, I, I remember uh, watching the uh, the making of that when they were talking about it. 
Yeah, so, I mean, when you put that much work into it, and then there's kind of, there's a lot of argument about how much the studio had to do with changing it up. Who knows? Who knows what happened there? Right. I, I, for one, don't think that it's as bad as people say, but it kind of, you kind of have to put it in the shelf that reads, do we, did we need it? Did it bring right, anything right. to the story? Um, I didn't find it insultive or anything, but I did find it to be a bit uh, unnecessary, I guess is the right term. Yeah, I mean, you know, Flatliners is an example where... I've never met a person who's seen the remake. I love the original. And I, it, I have. I've seen it. And it's oh it, it, it's bad. It's real bad. <laughs> which is a shame. Which is a shame because um I like I like Elliot um Page. Oh, I do too. Uh and um but uh albeit haven't seen Umbrella Academy yet, but I'm but I think that a lot of people throw around the word nostalgia a lot, and people could blame you for not liking a remake or a reboot or a reimagining due to nostalgia. And I think that that is a blanket term that people keep in their holster, and I think that it's drawn way too often. And a lot of times, I don't think I think people are off base because I'm not so sure that they understand what nostalgia means when they bring it up. They just think that you're going to dislike something because it's a retelling of a story that's already been told. It can totally be done yeah. and, and improve and vastly, I'll just, you know, flat out. I've got a couple um, in my quiver all the time that I can cite where you, I think it will be hard pressed to find someone that doesn't agree about the blob where you got a movie like the blob that has this B movie sensibility it's kind of laughed at and enjoyed and people kind of get into it and they dig in for the fun. And then somehow you, you have, uh, I think Frank Darabont wrote the, the remake of the blob. Yeah. And, Frank Darabont. Uh, and then, um, was it Chuck Russell? Uh, Chuck Russell. It. Yeah. So, so you got Chuck Russell and Darabont and that movie rocks completely rocks it takes everything that the blob that people who watch the blob were laughing at and made it completely vicious and practically unstoppable they took that they took that idea of the blob what its capabilities were what its shape changing uh possibilities were how it would attack how it would dissolve and digest it was totally cruel unforgiving fast-paced and set in that time that it came out that movie was fantastic and i think that that's definitely one of the ones that stand out for me whenever anyone brings up you know that all remakes are shit now, reboots suck and all that kind of stuff what now i was gonna say now you mean the the 88 remake is is you mean it's from the standpoint of it being as good if not better than the original Oh, absolutely. Like, oh, I, yeah. I would, uh, oh, I, would I agree. I agree. Because, and also that's, that's something where, um, 
you have to definitely because it's not taken in the same when you have something where uh, you remake something and you're trying to go for the same vein that the original had, it's almost always a failure. But when you can, that's why I was tempted to watch Fantasy Island when that, uh, you can't call that a remake. I think that's definitely under reimagining for that. Yeah. And also, I would agree because I mean, like, let's face it, Fantasy Island was the original Fantasy Island was not a horror movie. And that's uh, the Fantasy Island, the, the movie that came out, you know. It's really only based off the the TV show, and it's pretty much by name only. It really is. Yeah, I mean, I I really dig, and I think that it can really work, and it may be kind of like a, uh, I wouldn't be really hurt if it was used as a technique for remakes in the future, or at least an experimental one, because I've been completely... Uh, curious about that banana splits movie oh me too i have not seen it that was slightly that was slightly before my time but then when you see what they've done with it and of course you know everybody keeps screaming like five nights at freddy's and like i want to see willie's wonderland too i don't think that it's I, i don't think that you necessarily need to be screaming something if they do it first i mean if someone wanted to make a five nights at freddy movie they could have done that already so since they didn't jump on it, someone did. And I thought, even if it ends up sucking, I, I just, for some reason, in my heart of hearts, I doubt it's going to. Because it's going to be seeing that from a different perspective. Just like Meet the Feebles, where I watched that not too long ago. And it, it had kind of been on my list for years. And I think that it's, when you do it first, people keep harking back. Like, for instance, when I... When, uh, when I had uh, Melanie watch Double Indemnity with me, whenever you have someone watch Double Indemnity that's never seen it before and they're kind of seeing it from a modern context, they kind of sigh because they've seen it before. But they don't know that they've seen it before because of that one. So that kind of has to be established that the reason why you've seen it before is because they did it first, which is where like Hills Have Eyes come in. Even though I'm sure that right, wasn't right. kind of the, the same thing, or that wasn't the first thing of it, of that sort of thing, but for whatever reason, it really stamped itself onto to history uh, in the genre. And uh, another one that totally comes to mind for me was the. I think that you could say that it is a remake. I guess you could say it's a retooling of the Manchurian Candidate where uh, Jonathan Demme made the Manchurian. And the only reason why I bring it up is because I find that story horrific. So I think that that goes See, along. I've seen the original. I have I have not seen the remake. I know, like, uh, Denzel Washington's in it. but I, have, I totally I, recommend it's, it. It's just one that's always gotten past me. Like, I, I think about it at moments like this when I'm not ready to sit down and watch a, a new movie. You know, I'm doing something else at the time, but then I'll forget about it, and then six months will pass, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, there's that movie that is now, like, 15 years old that I didn't watch. That happens to me I totally all recommend time. it. Because it's one of those rare occasions where they can go, okay, well, this movie was about the horrors and the machinations that would have gone on during the Korean War. And all of a sudden, they transplant all of that stuff into our time in Iraq in one way or another. And it's seamless, but it's also 
very powerful and new when you watch it because they've gotten rid of some things. They've changed up some things. But there are some parts in that movie that are so damn chilling and brutal that it kind of blows my mind that it's not brought up more often. Because I'm, I'm talking about like chilling and brutal kind of in the same vein as uh, when uh, when Lecter took Ray Liotta's head off, scalp off. <laughs> yeah, Hannibal. yeah, and Hannibal. That is such a chilling moment right in your face. Um, except this a- is far deeper, kind of like in the American psyche. I ended up revisiting it not long too long ago, and it totally held up for me. And I, I'd venture to say that there's probably a lot of Gulf War veterans that would have a lot of trouble watching that movie because a lot of the the things that they bring up and bring to light and put kind of under the uh, the spots for that. You can't deny it, and uh, I, I would imagine a lot of people had trouble, and that's that's a shame because it's a when it comes to a remake, that's that's the way you do that shit right there. Right, I think like that's a good but, would probably be a good example of a way to do a remake as opposed to like I've already brought up, you know, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, which I think came out in two thousand nine, two thousand ten the most perfect idea or example of how to not do a remake. I, uh, I actually found a, I, uh, just due to the, the amount of movies that I watch and this was kind of before the, the streaming bug really went crazy. I would buy a lot of my movies. It would be a hunt at like thrift shops and stuff just because, I mean, my God, when you're buying like 20 movies at a clip, you'd either spend your entire paycheck or you go around looking for hidden gems. So, I ended up finding this um, terrifying four pack, which was it said like thrills and chills or something, and it was the remake of Friday the Thirteenth, the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and the remake of Halloween. And when I picked it up, I basically said to myself, "Okay, this is a dollar out of my pocket. I've seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. I haven't seen." the Nightmare on Elm Street one. I've seen the Friday the 13th one, but like it was, all of it had been kind of years before. So I kind of wanted to have that. So one night I could say to myself, if I hadn't given these a fair shake, I got four DVDs right here in one case where I could just do it up. And I'll be honest, I haven't, I haven't rewatched the Friday the 13th one. I haven't rewatched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. I haven't watched Halloween, the zombie Halloween. And I haven't watched the, uh, for some reason, I almost always say Haley Joel Osment, but that's, that's not right. Uh, I can't remember his name. Oh now. no, the, that's, um, Oh God. It's I'm, something like that. I'm having a brain fart. Uh, Jack Earl Haley, Jack Earl Haley. So, and I normally like him. Now that was the to me was the most disappointing part about that movie because I was looking forward to it when it came out because I saw the trailer and the trailer caught my interest. I'm like, you know, that's where usually I save judge 
save my judgment for a movie. You know, if I hear an announcement for something, I try not to judge right off the bat. I usually wait, like, until I see some footage, till I see what it looks like. And I saw the trailer, liked it. And when I found out Jackie Earl Haley was playing Freddy Krueger, I'm like, this could work. This really could fucking work. But he's, uh, you know, he's he's a great consummate performer. He's, he's you know, good 99% of the time. But I think his performance as Freddy Krueger was just just not right, at least not right for me. I, I think it's, it's a problem when you have a character that is so entrenched in pop culture and so entrenched in your mind. You know, I mean, think about it. people who don't like horror know who Freddy Krueger is. You know, they might not know who Michael Myers is. They might be like, ah, oh, it's that killer in the mask. They'll mistake him for Jason Voorhees, you know, sometimes. I've heard people actually make that that are not horror fans, you know. Be like, Whoa. oh, Jason Voorhees. I can see that happening more readily than the other one you mentioned. I had right. I have to say, I've never seen that happen, ever. For someone to mistake that, and I think it's because the '80s was the time where uh, killers became icons. So right, when right. people, and that's the thing, people are like Freddy following. Is... You know, well, I was, I was going to say it's post. It's kind of just after the '70s serial killer boom, where people were following them. Then you have these. Then you have the '80s come around, and all of a sudden, your killers become fictional. And they become cultural icons and almost sort of like folk heroes to some people. And that's a major stumbling block when you when you have something that has such a rich franchise and tapestry as these. What ends up happening is the the movie we have this like collective consciousness and this memory of the Freddy that you saw in Nightmare on Elm Street and the Freddy that you saw in the final Nightmare or the new Nightmare, and you squish all that history into one thought. It's like a multifaceted thought of that character. So then you have a remake, and somehow they have to encompass that entire history in one movie. And I guess that in Friday the 13th, I've heard people describe the, I think it was 2009 or something, Mm-hmm. I've heard yeah. people describe, yeah, yeah. I've heard people describe that that movie has a thing where, like, the cold open of it is supposed to represent Friday the Thirteenth one, and then you know, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes is Friday the Thirteenth two, three, four, five. So, like, you'll see, <clears throat> you'll see environments that kind of, ha- ha- you know, kind of echo stuff that happened in the other movies and it's supposed to bring this sort of like easter egg slash parallel slash homage thing happening but when you try to squish it into one movie that never needed to happen i mean i guess that when i think about the 2009 friday the 13th there were such glaring differences in the middle of something that was that you would think on the certain i mean it's not just a surface level thing it's definitely trying to recreate some things except you're doing it out of time which jason Voorhees is an 80s animal you can't take the 80s out of jason oh, for sure and have it. well you just can't that's why you know a lot of people say that 
even in Jason X, the travesty that Jason X was, it's a lot more fun because they even have kind of like this science fiction aspect where at one point you have a virtual 80s Crystal Lake that happens, and all of a sudden it reminds you where you are. It reminds you where you were. Um, right, right, but, yeah. That was one of the few things I liked about that movie, actually. That was and, one of the and few of things the, I liked. And, of course, the uh, the liquid nitrogen kill. I mean, that's that's that's. I still one. remark that as that kill, the, the liquid nitrogen, the, the face the face crush, is by far my favorite Jason Voorhees kill. Just to get oh, off subject. Oh, that's a tough you know? one. I would say that, for me, I have a lot of trouble saying, this is my favorite of anything. Because there's just well, so it also depends on which day, which day you ask me too. It, it definitely depends on which day you ask me. Because if you ask me tomorrow, I'd probably say when they, you know, when he, you know, part six, Jason lives when he breaks the sheriff and has a favorite kill. But you know, I mean, it, I would it's, say it's definitely it would up be, there. It's normally sleeping bag is almost always in the number one slot uh, because it's yeah, just so simple there. and brutal. Um, but I think that when you have glaring differences at the heart of this movie that's supposed to make you recall something else. When Jason all of a sudden is a survivalist and he has tunnels and he's taking prisoners, uh, that I think that they would have been better served by, uh, even though I wasn't a gigantic fan, kind of like going towards a hatchet mystique where you're trying yeah. to have something that kind of like rings a bell for Jason Voorhees, but it also has new aspects where you can see it in its own in its own uh, station. I had a question for you, though. You know, uh, getting back to a little bit towards uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, things like. Uh, say, for instance, even like the Evil Dead reboot slash remake. Do you oh, think it, it, it hurt? It hurts a movie now. Like, for instance, you know, just uh, not to get up on a tangent, but I do like the Evil Dead, the 2013 version, merely because I mean, I th- if I feel like it's something that takes place in the same universe, but it's not necessarily a you know a remake. It's another story that takes place within the same universe because they don't have somebody else playing Ash, which I think was the right way to go about that. Now, was the movie perfect? Was it a great movie? No. It was a good movie. You know, there's a difference between having a great movie and a good movie. I think The Evil Dead 2013 is a good movie. But they did things right by not having somebody else come in. uh, You know, uh, I remember one time there was a rumor, you know, there's always the thousand one internet rumors that Ashton Kutchner was going to be playing Ash. And I just like rolled my eyes. I'm just like, well, that's going to, if that happens, that'll solidify the fact that I'll never see this movie because there is one person to play Ash and that's Bruce Campbell. It's just like, to me, and maybe this, maybe this is a bit of nostalgia or maybe it's just because the roles are so iconic. I think that's a reason why, at least for me in my eyes, why the Nightmare on Elm Street remake fails is because it's not Robert Englund playing Freddy Krueger. He is so synonymous with that character. I mean, do you think that plays into it? Do you think that hurts a movie when they have such an iconic character, like an Ash Williams or Freddy Krueger, and they try to, I, it'd be like somebody I else playing does. Snake Plissken besides Kurt Russell. I mean, I, I think it does. I think that when you have 
a character that makes such an imprint and such, I mean, even with something like Jurassic World or The Force Awakens, when you try to have something that's trying to take all of the clothes and, you know, the haircut and the face of some other iconic thing and twist it just slightly so as if as if you wouldn't recognize it but still somewhere in your subconscious you're thinking of the other thing sometimes that works but if you have all of a sudden chris pratt become indiana jones there's going to be something that that falls away when you try that even though maybe it could be done who knows should it be done i think that when you have something beloved and something that works in every way and something that has been time tested and still people recognize it and still people have anecdotes and remember when the last they saw the first one and all that kind of stuff when you have that not only is there no reason i i think that in a lot of ways it shows like kind of like Whatever your determination right, right. is, it shows what the color of it is, which is green. You're just looking for the brand recognition. When it comes to Evil Dead, uh, the the is it that's 2009 too? That's 2013, I believe, if I remember correctly. Okay. Wow, that seems like not as long ago as I thought. Yeah, I it doesn't, it see, it doesn't seem like it's that. Like it, it does. It doesn't feel like that could have been eight years ago, does it? No, I, I disagree. I, I feel like it was longer for me. Oh, <laughs> I mean, unless that's what you're talking about. Like for me, that seems like a long time ago. I was brought to Evil Dead under duress because I was like, I, I just don't need this. Because to me, as soon as I watched Evil, I, this is going to be one where we disagree. Because with oh, that's the fine. Evil Dead, that's one, why we have these things, debates, man. <laughs> that's why we have oh, them. <laughs> yeah. But but at least in this case, from what you and I were talking about at one point, I can give you reasons why. And I'll, I'll try to make it concise, but with, with for me, whenever someone kind of gets at me about the Evil Dead re-whatever, it seems like they never get any further than the gore. They always It seems like that's where they jump in. They say, oh man, but it was so gory, it was so awesome. And I say to them, well, what about the complete upheaval of the mythology of the demons? What about that? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, they specifically my biggest said problem with that movie. My biggest problem with that movie is the fact that the air gun that they use the air nailer, you know, the the that doesn't ever have a an air hose hooked up to it. So technically, that motherfucker never would have worked. They never would have shot so a single ridiculous. arrow. <laughs> that is so You might have been able to get away with that if you went a whole hog at the beginning or from the beginning, but that wasn't what it was all about. And then um, there were just things that were ridiculous where I oh, never, I, I was screaming. I was totally, because I mean, okay, let's, let's get this out of the way right now. When you're saying the word evil dead and ridiculous, but you're saying ridiculous as something against evil dead, I'm only talking about, that that rethink because ridiculous is what evil dead is all about except for one thing 
when you have a movie that's pretty much grounded in reality and this girl rather than using something to cut her arm off rips it off <laughs> out from under right. that vehicle that is motherfucking ridiculous so like oh, um, i agree and it couldn't quite figure out whether or not it wanted that girl to be the villain and shit so there were things like also with the nightmare on elm street remake I think that what needs to go through people's minds with these things is, okay, are you going to flat, if you're, if you're going to flat out come out publicly and say, hey, we're remaking this to see if we can make more money off of this name. If you see that, everybody knows where you're coming from. There's no, you're not giving any quarter. You're not throwing any bullshit around. Okay. However, it makes me wonder if you take the money and you take Jackie Earl Haley and you would have taken some things from the Freddy Krueger mythos that you liked, made them all burned up in the face like he was, which I thought was really chilling looking, but it didn't look like Freddy. But you took no. that and you gave it its own and you made uh, you kind of made the conceit a little bit different and you had the exact same setup and maybe don't do it from like the dream arena and just come at it from a different angle. That could have been great, and it could have been his own thing, and you could have gotten everything out of it that you were trying to do by bringing Jackie Earl Haley in and trying to kind of bring that 80s slasher mentality back. You could have done it in a completely different way. Like, I think that Bad Dreams, that movie Bad Dreams, oh, yes. is completely I'm underrated. It. Love it. Underrated as fuck. And I think that there's a lot of Freddy Krueger in that movie, but it isn't Freddy Krueger, and there's differences. I mean, and down to having, uh, you know, Jennifer Rubin in it from Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and the fact that the main guy, when he's haunting them in their dreams, is all burnt to fuck. And I think, you know, with also with um, the Friday the 13th thing, the whole, like, tunnel system at the camp and yeah. uh, survivalist thing and all that, I think you could have gotten, you would have gotten a lot more uh, cred if you had just gone for something new. So I, that's why I don't quite blame that thing prequel as much as some people do. Uh, because you know, and, and back to the thing, like, that thing prequel, I, I got to say here real quick. It's like, I don't hate that movie. I like it. No, the thing that gets me is that that turns me off about it is the overt, like this blatant CGI that just it it uh, rubs me the wrong way because the well, practical it, effects are so good. Thumb. The practical effects are so good. Oh yeah, they're so good in uh, John Carpenter's uh, remake of the thing. It's just like you know the the, the technology. And the know-how how to do these effects are still there. They could have went the extra mile. But they went CGI, and I know it was probably just because it's quicker, it's easier, it's cheaper, but it, that's the thing. And well, it, it, it is cheaper. It looks, che it looks cheap. Well, I, I from what I, because I, um, after I found out about that, like Harbinger Down Company, I don't know their name off the top of my head, and I feel bad about that, but... Um, when I found out that whole debacle about that, I totally researched, went in on all that. And from what I found out, 
the most of the reason why that looks so much like shit is because it was all patched over. Like they didn't reshoot stuff. They just patched over everything with what they had with the, uh, the CGI. And that makes it look all the more shitty for it. Yeah. Like Um, for instance, I was just watching, I watched Pumpkinhead three and four back to back. I got the, the very rare double feature DVD that's out of print. And I finally found one after having not seen it for 15 years, like the old school, there's old school practical effects in it. They're from 2006 and seven. And so it was back when CGI was still just not, not quite the well-oiled machine that it is today. And there's a couple instances where they CGI pumpkin head. Now, like it's usually like was a, there's an infamous shot when he leaps down from the roof of a church that's really bad. I mean, like, if you haven't seen it, it's a good movie. They're both good movies. I liked all the Pumpkinhead movies, all four of them. But it's like 85% practical effects and then 10 to 15% CGI, if I'm making sense. And the CGI yeah. is glaringly bad and glaringly CGI. It, when it's used to enhance, I don't mind CGI. But when it's done like a full-on cgi and is done badly i can't forgive it it's just bad cgi is just that just bad i mean i guess that when it comes to uh when it comes to the remake reboot reimagining question and debate i guess that it, it might be a good idea to establish okay well are we gonna discount remakes out of hand due to the the kind of like the change up in effects, number one, or is it going to be okay? Well, the effects are haphazard, but but what's more important is the story. If the story ha- is strong, number two, or three, the obvious pandering. Because sometimes I think that you can have a remake that has great effects, it's got a great story, great acting. But it's so obviously pandering and trying to milk the previous relationship that even that sometimes will sour me on something. Oh, same, well. same. Uh, because I mean, uh, uh, what was it? I haven't seen the Pumpkinhead sequels, mostly because Pumpkinhead stands in my memory as one of those rare occasions where someone comes up with a new monster and they come up with a new legend and they have this really old school kind of tales from the crypt monkey's paw bargaining. It's such a folk tale. Pumpkinhead is a fucking folk tale. And I love it so much, especially when you get someone like Lance Hendrickson, where he's slowly kind of turning it. He's like this buck toothed. But, I mean, also, in another... I haven't seen Pumpkinhead since I became a father. And it's amazing how many things uh, change their dimension after the, something like that has happened. So, I haven't seen Pumpkinhead lately. Uh, and, and I think it deserves a rewatch now. Even, I mean, but I wonder if there's a new wrinkle now. But um, uh, I, think I did not probably see... have a, a finer appreciation for it now that you're a dad. It probably would, uh, probably would hit home quite a little harder i'd be willing to bet oh yeah i mean and and the the cool part is is i didn't think i could have a greater appreciation for it but i bet i will after it's all over it'll probably like twist me real super down deep where it 
it, it didn't go before. But like the poltergeist thing, unnecessary. Didn't even try it, despite Sam Rockwell, who I normally I'll watch anything that fucker's in. Um, <laughs> poltergeist, you know how, how long I, you know, take a guess how long I made it into that movie, that that sequel or the uh, I the, think the remake. I, I would say I would say you got past the getting to know you shit, which hopefully is something like 10, 15 minutes. And then you probably saw the beginnings of what was going on. So if I had to guess, I'd say something like 25 minutes. Uh, half that, half that. I think I made it 12 or 13 minutes into it. And I was just like, all right, I'm done. I don't need to, I don't need to watch any more of this. That, that, w- that was a perfect example of a remake. Now, maybe I missed the best part. But if you don't grab me in that first 15, 20 minutes, it doesn't necessarily have to be action-packed or be exciting. But if you're not grabbing me with the performances, the effects, or the locations, or the story, or anything, when you have a a completely benign, you know, blasé opening 15 minutes, you you lost me. You, You completely lost me. I never made it past 15 minutes, I'm sure. I mean, I, I think that with, like, for instance, this is a little off horror, but when you're talking about something like Total Recall, I think that Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger is as close, to, that is as, probably as close as you can get to a movie where there are so many iconic things that are happening in that movie for the time period that when you even attempt it, it's doomed from the start. Especially, but but it boggles my mind sometimes where it just seems to me is like, okay, whose idea was it to remake total recall in whatever year that was, they remade it. It wasn't as if there was a big, big call for it anymore. And then you spend so much money on all these actors that are in the public eye. And it looked like they had a pretty decent computer budget for it. But then it just, it seems to me that with that, that would have been a good opportunity to have gone for the Philip K. Dick story instead. Right, and right. Go, and, go, and go completely off of that instead of having this kind of mishmash, half-assed uh, story that kind of has mostly to do with the other movie. I mean, dude, I can't help myself but to think that Dr. Sleep falls in this category. Because when you look at that, like if someone says that something's a nostalgia bomb, that's a fucking nostalgia bomb. Or someone is trying as hard as they can to have as many things as they can. Because it seems to me with Dr. Sleep, that would have been a perfect opportunity to have kind of righted a lot of the wrongs that Stephen King found with the, the Kubrick Shining movie. But instead of making the book they made a sequel to the movie with some pieces from the book and i think that it ended up up like not i think that it's a bastard in both families when you when you well you know i felt the same way about the book i felt the book I, i read the book and i've seen the movie and i agree with you but i think the book is also a nostalgia bomb because I, it was the same thing. It was just like, okay, we're going to sprinkle a little bit from here and sprinkle a little bit from there, you know, from the, the original. And it just, 
Yeah. Oh, I hope, one that, I hope that didn't come off. I, I hope that didn't come off like I've read the book because I haven't read the book yet. But I do know. Uh, yeah, that, I read that. I read the book like about a week before I saw the movie. Before the movie came out, because it was Ooh. one of those like. Things. <laughs> and, oh my god! And, wow, Talk about was, I, that's 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 a regimen that I would never do. Because you're cruising yeah. for disappointment right there. Because yeah, I was. Me, I, and, I, and this is you know people. I have this debate all the time, all the time. I say, hey, if the movie comes out before you read the book, see the movie first. And they're like, oh, my God, no way, no way. How could you, Corey Dawson, how could you possibly subscribe to that? And this is why. I always say, hey, watching a book first or uh, reading a book first is going to do nothing but uh, contract the scope when you go to movie. Because you have the entire storehouse of your imagination to work with. So when you go into a movie... The people you see in the movie are not going to look like what you imagine in your mind. They're going to cut at least two-thirds out of the book just for pacing. They're going to miss all kinds of subplots that you liked. A lot oh, of shit. Especially in a Stephen <laughs> King book, because Stephen King books are so immense anyway. You know, they're going to cut at least half or two-thirds out. He's a, he's a doorstop writer. and um, But the other direction, which is what I subscribe to, is you watch the movie first. You get a face to put to your character in the book while you're reading it, and the book expands the movie. The scope of the movie expands with the book. And if something changes, chances are it's more likely to just have you see someone from a different perspective in a situation uh, from a pair of eyes that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't seen the movie. So in my mind, when I saw the movie huh. Misery, and then I read the book Misery, it was so much better, so much better that way. Because you're going to might have to. Uh, I may have to adopt your mode of doing it because I feel like now you. you I feel like you actually opened my eyes for. Here I am, forty-four years old, and I'm, I'm like seeing things in a different light. I feel like I've been doing it wrong because I have always felt like I got. I can't go see a movie without reading the source material first. If I know it's based on a book, you know, there's been, has times it ever I've... worked for you? Yeah, sometimes, you know, uh, has it ever it, worked for you? It's 50, 50, you know, sometimes it's 50, 50. It, it, it all depends. You know, no, I don't think but there's I mean, really any me method that that's probably tried and true. Correct. Every single time, you know, every time, each time and every time. So I might have, I might just uh, have to adopt the, that new mode of thinking and give it a shot. I mean, you know, certainly couldn't hurt to try at least once. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try it with Fight Club because, in my opinion, I I would say that the Fight Club movie is probably the the best distillation of a book that I've ever seen. So I would say that it's it would probably be the same ride, almost the same ride, if you did it with that. Huh. Um, but you know, with, nice. uh, with, with something like, um, uh, the haunting that is, uh, the haunting with, um, Liam Neeson. Yeah, that, that is, yeah. Def that is definitely up there with my picks for why the fuck, how the fuck 
Why the fuck did you remake it? How the fuck did you think that anyone who recognized where it came from was going to prefer this? <laughs> right. Talk talk about CG unnecessary CG overload because the haunting is a when you think of a haunted house, you want atmosphere, not gadgets. You want right. to be walking, yeah. Like I would like Seriously, I haven't watched the rest of The Haunting of Hill House, mostly because I got so into it that I, that I thought to myself, man, if you get to the end, it's never going to end as well as, you, as you're feeling about the rest of this. Because sometimes it would be something where, uh, what's a, um, a good example of where the camera goes somewhere and it seems like the camera shouldn't be there? And then all of a sudden it moves, and you're thinking, was there something I was supposed to see? And then you're thinking, oh, shit, is something going to come from where I was supposed to see? And then you're like, oh, fuck, did I miss something that's about to pounce? Uh, A great example would be in The Exorcist uh, 3, or I, I prefer Legion. Exorcist Three Legion. For some reason, they they released it like that, and, and they took and actually my 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 favorite of the series. I, I like Exorcist Three more than I like any of the other ones, even the original. It's, I know again, it's got again, so I'm much, gonna get hate mail. <laughs> well, and I think that it had the perfect balance of hearkening back to something, showing uh, reverence for something. And yet, somehow existing in the same world, enhancing the story and expanding it. And I mean, you put George C. Scott in there, and I'm in. So I, I love oh, that. George C. Scott think, is great in that. And I think, in a lot of ways, I think that that's more than a sequel. I'm tempted to put Exorcist 3 in the same category as uh, some remakes and reboots, to be honest. I think that it's a little more than a sequel. Uh, well, and, but I mean, it, George C. Between George C. Scott and that final scene between him and Brad Dorff is would was worth the ticket price alone. That was worth the price of admission right there. Oh yeah, and you know I. Uh, a lot of times when remakes happen, I kind of thrust them out of my mind. And, and that's a bias. That's definitely a bias. I, I won't lie about that because you're going to have to really do something magical for me to give a damn about a remake a lot of times. Because just due to that brand thing, a lot of times they end up remaking stuff that was great to begin with. Uh, I mean, Day of the Earth Stood Still. What are you doing? I can see where you'd want to update things. But just making something bigger and shinier and faster, I think that you lose so much because so much of the day the earth stood still is about the message. So if you're up in the ante when it comes to special effects, you're missing the message. And I think that that's something that has to be taken into account when you're when you're given you never want to give something a short shrift. You want to at least give it a shot. Um, but I have but I have to force myself to do it. I'm not going to say that it's easy, but I would definitely yeah, I'm in say the same that. Boat here. Like if someone were to remake Basket Case, I would be interested. Oh. 
I would be interested in seeing what they did just because I would be fascinated to see what direction they took Belial in that. Um, but you know damn well now, that now, was, now you're talking to series near and dear to my heart right there. I think that <laughs> what you would do though inevitably would be an insult because so many things about Basket Case has nothing to do with the quality of the film itself, which I say like the medium, the grainy medium. It doesn't have anything to do with the powerful performances. Basket Case is of a piece. Like everything that came together for that movie was so unexpected and so beloved. I, I, I've never met a person who was into, I mean, I would, I would venture to say that basket case kind of dips its toe into the grindhouse in a oh, lot of yeah, ways. For sure. Um, and I, I think that anyone who has seen it never forgets basket case. And I saw basket case two for the first time in a long time. And it kind of gives me the same flavor as return of swamp thing where it got goofy real fast, but that's not necessarily <laughs> bad uh, in that case. And, and in, in that case, in that series, it works out well. But if someone remade it, they would be almost forced into a corner to make it grounded and try to make it uh, edgy instead. And, and I think that that's when you're driving a stake through the heart of something beloved when you do that. So you have to find... But why do? But I guess my question is, I was almost I was tempted to say, but you have to find a way. But do you have to find a way? Is the remake reboot? Is it a necessary thing? No, it's not a necessary thing. Sometimes you can you can hit pay dirt with Manchurian Candidate, for instance. But you'll have to let me know what you think of that when you if you agree. But uh, um, I think that I, I think agree. That they, I, I feel most of the time, you know, ninety nine times out of a hundred, I feel it's just highly unnecessary. They take movies that, to me most of the time when they remake something, they're remaking something that is already iconic. And to remake yeah. something iconic is, to me, absurd because you're saying, oh, well, I think I, this movie is, is great. It's a classic. It's a masterpiece. I think we can do better is that's, what I hear when they're remaking so it. To that's me, so you take a movie. You take, to me, the idea of remakes that would work, in my opinion, and I'm going to list a couple of titles, uh, one, movies we've already reviewed here uh, on uh, past shows just because I, I, I think they make good examples of movies that are good movies, but are they're deemed worthy of being remade because they're not perfect. They're not super iconic. And, you know, movies like The Incredible Two-Headed Transplant or, you know, Nightmares from 1980 or Shriek of the Mutilated, movies that are good or cult hits, but they're more obscure. Something like Invasion of the Blood Farmers, another one that we've reviewed here. You know, movies that, like I said, are more obscure cult kind of icons and whatnot that could be 
understood to be remade because they had imperfect sound or the, you know, the boom mic is uh, visible in 90% of it, or it's just, you know, it's, it's good, cheesy fun, but it's a far from perfect iconic film. Those are the kind of movies I've actually always had a soft spot for the incredible two headed transplant. It's a movie that I always said that if, if I could remake anything, it, it would be one of the first titles I would pick. But that's my idea of movies that should is be. Is that the remade. one with uh, Ray Milland, or is that the thing with two heads? That's the thing with two heads. Uh, the Incredible Two Headed Transplant was with uh, had Casey Kasem and Bruce Dern. Whoa! What? I've never even heard of that one. I don't think. Yeah, I think it was from. Uh, if I remember, it was like from seventy four, seventy three. Uh, yeah, because I, I brought it up here. It's got a great tagline. One brain wants to kill, one brain wants to love. It was, it's, it was a great movie, but yeah. That, that's the kind wow. of the movie to be that, that could stand to have a remake. You know, the, the kind of grindhouse exploitation kind of movies that are good in their own right, but they're, you know, a little well, less you me. You reminded me of one that cannot be overlooked because it's got... Uh, it's got great moves in one direction, and then it, and then they keep trying. For some reason, they keep trying, and it just gets worse and worse as you go along. And that is, you reminded me when you said Invasion of the Blood Farmers, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. When you have the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and then you have the '70s Donald Sutherland Body Snatchers, it was a triumph. When you have yeah, a movie so powerful and um, and completely uh, timely as in the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers when that came out in black and white, and then you have a completely different timeliness when it comes out for Donald Sutherland's era, and you have Leonard Nimoy in this like awesome kind of like departure from Spock, which I don't think he's done since. I don't think he's ever had a departure uh, from Spock better than he was in that movie. And oh, no, I don't so, think so damn either. chilling, completely chilling remake. And then they just kept doing it. They had the, for some reason, Abel Farrar remade it as just, I think, simply Body Snatchers. And yep, then, I was going to uh, mention that. I was not Abel Farrar version. That was, ooh. That was... Uh, I, I, I attempted it, and I, and I was just like, "Why am I here?" And then, uh, and then the invasion with Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman, which, what, why, just what are you doing? Like this, um, I think that now, I think that right now, the twenty first century as we see it right now, I think that you could almost get away with it now. But you would have to completely change the way that, like, everything is delivered. Um, and you might be able, because basically the body snatchers, it was all about not being able to trust who you, who you loved. Not being able to trust what you saw. And I think that uh, in an internet COVID reality that we're in right now, you might be able to get away with that now. But I, I doubt they'll ever do it again because it's just it was basically throwing sand at the feet of everything that had come before it just for no other reason than to just go, OK, well, 
we don't have any ideas right now, so let's do that. And who knows? I mean, there's a lot of writer strikes that occur. And uh, I, I don't have all the information. Maybe there's something where, you know, they're looking to bring something out of the doldrums, so they, they attempt it. But it inevitably means it's completely forgettable or it's uh, totally fury-worthy. And uh, that's definitely one of the times when somebody being furious about something does not give you good press is when there's a bad remake. That's for sure. Right, and I'm right. sure, and there's there's a shit ton that I'm forgetting. I'm sure. Um, oh, I'm so, we could do we could do this show as a triple header, and we probably still wouldn't uh, touch base on all all the remakes. You know that this is such a broad uh, <laughs> subject. So I want to give uh, give you my final question real quick. Since we usually do reviews at the end of our shows, it's not really a, a kind of review type show. But I did have a, a kind of best of worst of question that I want to pose to you uh, before I uh, crash out on you here tonight. Do you have uh, for, for this particular question uh, or, or topic that we have on remakes? Do you have a favorite remake versus uh, your least favorite? remake or i can say your your most beloved remake versus your most hated remake i think that it's been so established how classic the carpenters thing is i think the reason why i don't put that first with this is because it's so bleak that it's really difficult to have fun at all in that movie even with a little bouts of humor and the fantastic effects one time I rented a theater to do a double feature of films and we did the mist and the thing back to back. Ooh, talk and, about two bleak films. Well, and, and I fucked up because <laughs> I did the mist first and the thing last. And in hindsight, we should have done the thing first and big trouble. Little China second, because and, yeah. and then and then just have like the carpenter question because uh, you got to be lifted out of that, and I think that that's where I kind of fall on the blob. I think that the blob is probably my favorite one uh, because it's fun, it's fast paced, it's cruel, it's got gallows humor, it's got that eighties flair, it's got a few uh, new enhanced elements that the first movie didn't have. And it didn't hang its quality on a big star. You kind of had some normal looking people in that movie. And, uh, uh, and uh, Bill Mosley uh, behind the mask. Like you, it's got, it's great. Right. I, I love that movie. I um, agree. I agree. It's definitely, I would have to say if I, if someone's forcing me to say favorite, I would have to say blob and that could change. Like we said, you know, it might change on, on Friday, but right now I'm going to say the blob when it comes to the, the worst remake. Um, that's actually a little bit tougher for me. Um, but I, I think that just kind of off the top of my head, um, I 
yeah, I, who would have ever thought that it was more difficult to come up with my least favorite? I think that maybe that's a, a that's kind of a revelation on this question and this topic is uh, is that. But I don't think I'm going to have a really good answer here. Um, I I guess. Especially, I mean, if we're if we're talking like a horror genre, I guess no. I was gonna say I almost said Candyman, but I have, but no, I don't think anybody's seen that one yet. And yeah, I think that, that it actually, released. and I think that it actually has some aspects that might be very interesting. Um, I guess I'm. Oh, damn it! <laughs> it's a Sophie's choice, isn't it? <laughs> well, uh. I guess I'm going to have to say Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, the Kenneth Bernard one? Yeah. Yeah, I can because see that. For, for as many elements that I thought was in, were interesting and were closer to the book, I think that it ended up being a romance novel because Kenneth Branagh was uh, running around on Emma Thompson with uh, Helena Bonham Carter at the time. So I think it ended up becoming oh, a body. I didn't know that. Yeah, I found that out not too long ago. Um, but I, I think it ended up becoming more of a bodice ripper than what it should have been, which was kind of like uh, a testament and kind of like putting humanity itself under the microscope and shit. And I think that Robert De Niro was a bad choice. I think that he would have been interesting in another uh, classic monster. But uh, you you kind of have to fit, have the physical stature, and you have to. It was just it was it was confused. I think that yeah. they would have if they would have stuck straight up more to the book itself, because I think it's another one of those things where they, they said, okay, this isn't your mama's Frankenstein, so we're gonna crib a couple of things like the beginning, like the sea voyage, where Frankenstein right, began, right. yeah, like. When I first saw that, I was like, oh, man, Kenneth Branagh, you know, he's a Shakespearean director and, and stuff. And especially when you see something like Murder uh, on the Orient Express version that he did. I went into that didn't, not thinking that I was going to like it. And I ended up liking it a whole lot. So I Same. think that he uh, I, I think that he can do I think he can do great work. And um, I actually think that Thor would have been awesome if they would have stayed off Earth. But for some reason, somebody's got a heart on for bringing. Space, cosmic space gods to Earth, and it's like, who the hell? What are you, what are you doing? But um, so I call I that the Superman that, uh, syndrome. Oh God, yeah. But I mean, um, I think I'm sure that on the drive home tonight, I'm gonna smack myself and I go, oh fuck! There, there was a. I'm sure that there's a hated, and I, you know, and I'm tempted to say the Evil Dead one, but. Since it's so near and dear to you that I was like, well, I'm not going <laughs> to shit all over it again. I think that I said enough about that, and uh, I think that well, I'm don't gonna... worry, that's not falling. In, it's not falling into my favorite category. If I had to go favorite, it's definitely the thing, without a doubt. Uh, it's always been the thing, and probably always will be the thing as a favorite. And my least favorite is is equally easy to pick out. I've already uh. 
shit on this one a couple of times tonight, but I'll shit on it a little bit more is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Just can't yeah, abide by bring, it. That was the hardest movie I ever sat through. I mean, I guess with, um, like I said, it's difficult for me to pick an all-time favorite and an all-time hated because uh, there are aspects. Like, I mean, I would definitely say there are aspects to the Rob Zombie Halloween that I thought spit on the most sacred mystique of that whole character. Um, but I think it kind of dug itself and it's it's already been mostly forgotten due to like the new thing. I mean, I thought this Halloween was so damn good in my estimation. The new one? Actually, yes. Yes, I, I, I loved it. I loved it. Because all I could think of was, I was like, man, this is making me feel like the old days. And when it can do that, it's about the way it makes you feel. So I was like, oh, man. And then when she kind of came back around and that there was that little switcheroo and, like, the daughter kind of, she tricked the fuck out of me. She tricked me. So, like, when something can oh, trick yeah. I applaud. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And then yeah, when that movie ended, that was an angle I did not see coming. Yeah, when that movie ended, I was like, "Awesome!" Because to me, I don't necessarily need to know what happens next. Like, it, why? Because I think it's because like he's gotten out of so many damn pickles before that if you leave it at a point where you're in your mind, you can kind of come up with what happens next. You don't need necessarily to do that. And then when you say that two more movies are coming out, I was like, oh, man. Because you know it's going to, by saying that, you know when it's going to end. And you know that it's not going to end in the second one. And it's just going to be more of the same. And I, I just think it's presumptuous. And I think that it's, we've been trained for it. We've been trained to have a trilogy. And we've been trained to, uh, to give it all away. We've, we've been trained. Because that's why, you know, when you... If you can watch it, you know, on the remake tip, if you can watch a remake and you don't know where it's going to go next, victory. And with exactly. the blob, that happened in the blob. And that happened in the thing, too. You oh, didn't know, yeah. and, you, and, and, you, and there have been beats that you recognized. And all of a sudden, you don't know exactly where it's going to go. That's a victory. And that has nothing to do with CG. It has everything to do with story. So I think that there, I think that we've kind of covered some, some failures and we've covered some victories and there are definitely more, uh, uh, on both sides, but I think that just, just by merit yeah. of this, this being without warning, well, there's a lot, sometimes there's a lot that we didn't cover. I mean, there's a, a whole lot of ground we didn't cover, but it was such a broad spectrum of, of a topic that we would never in an hour and a half, two hour show be able to cover, you know, all of them, you know, I mean, like we got alone. We, we got have done a show on just night of the living dead remakes alone and have a two hour show since there's what, like six of them, I think. Seven. Oh, you know what? Who knows? You know what? You just, you just, I, okay. I don't want to leave this out now because you just reminded me. Um, I would definitely like to put the dawn of the dead remake in the category of, um, I would say, that that is a remake, the Dawn of the Dead. Yes. Oh, I'd agree. And it's a good one. It's definitely a good one. Because there's so much in common 
And it was uh, when I watched that, because I was, Dawn of the Dead was near to me, dear to me. I watched it a bunch with a bunch of friends of mine that, that were real dear to me all the time we were partying and stuff. So when I saw the new one, I didn't think it was going to be able to show me anything new. And um, it definitely rang a lot of the old bells and it definitely rang some new bells. And I think that, uh, I think it did well. I think that Dawn of the Dead did well, that remake. I didn't see the Day of the Dead remake and I'm not planning to. Well, that being said, I think we can call this an evening. Can I mention one more? I'm sorry. Things keep coming ah, go up. Go for it. Go for it. Um, I would. I loved the Stallone Judge Dredd movie because it was silly as fuck. I found it fun. I knew that it uh, wasn't faithful to the comic, but I still liked it because I didn't think... I, I, I just thought to myself, okay... This isn't the comic. This is Sylvester Stallone. And I just, in my head, I just called it Sylvester Dread. And I just thought, of, well, this is a brain. Sylvester thing. Dread. But then <laughs> when I watched, uh, when I watched the, um, the Dread movie. The Carl I Urban one? That. The Carl Urban Dread. I loved that. Oh, so but good. It also wasn't as faithful to the comic as I would have liked. But it was a hell of a lot closer. And it was different, and it, it had a more nihilistic mindset that was closer to the comic, so I liked that too. So I guess you can not think something's the best, but like it, and then have an improvement happen and love it, but yet not uh, drag the other one through the mud. So that's an example of that. That's a good one. You might have just uh, inspired another topic we may have to do. Here at some point. I'm not going to tell you what that is because that's the whole point of the show. All right. And I, <laughs> well, I, will have the, I will have the listeners know that I didn't touch my phone once during this whole thing. I didn't look anything up. I didn't refer to anything. I wanted to go into this totally cold, and here we are. Fun times. Oh, I, I cheated left and right. I had to look up stuff <laughs> as we were going along. That's because my memory is, 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 is shot to shit. I had no. But you're the, but you're the Sven Gulli. But you're the Sven Gulli. I'm yeah, not. I gotta have. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, folks, you've enjoyed this as much as we have, and hopefully, Corey, you've uh, in, enjoyed doing this. And I know it was put putting you on the spot, but uh, as long as you enjoy doing them, I'll continue to put you on the spot here in the future. Complete blast! Hey, man, hang me in the meat locker anytime. All right. Well, I got Leatherface on standby with the meat hook with your name on it. Excellent. Hey, you better make sure that <laughs> well, thing folks, has got some tensile strength because otherwise I'll pull it out of the wall. <laughs> we'll reinforce that fucker. <laughs> well, folks, you have been listening to Cinema Degeneration and the pilot episode of Without Warning. I have been your host, Cameron Scott. This has been my co-host, Corey Dawson, and we bid you a fond farewell.
for some reason, I've never, I think I've gotten a half hour into the boogans, and for some reason, something's always gotten in the way. You are missing nothing, sir. That movie was absolute shite. We tore, <laughs> we tore, we tore the ass out of that movie. We tore it up so there was no more ass left of it. But we had a, we had a fun time doing it. It's, it's a commentary track, you know. It ends up like, on so many lists. It's, it's boring. There's no boogans in it. There, you don't see the boogan until like 20 minutes, 15 minutes before the end. You see it. You see there's deaths that happen off camera and you see a tentacle every once in a while. But you legit do not see the boogans until like I think it's 18 minutes before the end of the movie. It's I bad. guess that it's it's a fine <laughs> line between hiding your monster and having the monster lurk just out of reach because... I think that in a lot of things, like, uh, I think Alien's a good example, where they kind of hold back for a while, and Jaws, yeah. famously. So, I mean, I think that you can make it work, but if you if you end up hiding it, that ain't good. All right, yeah, it was, people have compared it to Chud, you know, because you don't see the Chuds very often. But, yeah, there's a whole lot more Chud action, but, <clears throat> yeah, it, it was bad. It was real bad. <laughs> but we had fun. We had a lot of fun ripping on it. Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.